up. And I did feel sort of scared. And then the bungu sort of really got going. And it was about 600 people at that point around the fire. People really doing the dance. They were doing it with the clapsticks and didgeridoo. And I actually slept alone on the porch. And there was the dogs, you know, Australian wild dogs. There was different kinds of animal poop on the porch. Like I'd push things as far as I could. But this little piece of me, this little will, had to just be different, even here. And here I was, and I might get speared to death. It was a pretty scary night. This is Itana Jacobson. She's talking about the time she spent in Arnhem Land in the north of Australia, a remote area populated by an indigenous people called the Yongu. The closest major city is Darwin, but Arnhem Land is a world away. It has its own laws, governing system, and many unwritten rules. Itana senses that something has gone terribly wrong, and it's all her fault. The worst thing was I thought I'd really let these folks down. How did Itana, a young American woman, end up living in one of the most remote outstations in northern Australia? That story in this edition of The Journey. I'm Jonathan Gruber. The Journey is an original podcast from KLM Royal Dutch Airlines, where we meet extraordinary people whose lives are transformed by travel. These days, Itana lives in Santa Monica, California, where we spoke with her via Skype. But she grew up on the other side of the United States. I grew up in Peabody, Massachusetts. That is on the North Shore of Boston. It's a pretty colorful, historic area. It's a working class area, kind of a mixed suburb, mixed demographics, mixed people. I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family, so we were just very religious. We couldn't turn on lights on the Sabbath. In some ways, people would consider this a fundamentalist upbringing. My dad yelled at me once for going to the library on a Saturday, that sort of thing. Just a very, very stern, stoic childhood. Like I had to sort of lobby to be the first girl to read from the Torah for her mitzvah. There were just a number of things like that. Like My whole childhood was kind of like that. We would try to do good things within that context and got a lot of feedback that women couldn't do it. So when they told you that you couldn't do things because you were a girl, what went through your head? I was like, I will do those things. I was pretty angry and pretty much... It was a surge of energy, white-hot energy. I saw myself doing those things, doing anything and everything. Certainly a man could do maybe things men wouldn't dare to do. And I simply felt nothing could stop me. When I was a baby, they brought me home, and my mother said, first thing babies do is you put them on their belly, or wherever you put them, they stay. She said, you found a way to flip over on your belly and wiggle, almost wiggle like a worm around your crib. Then you found a way to escape the crib when it was impossible for a baby to do so. So then we put up a special bar, and then you found a way to escape the bar. And it just became something that in the middle of the night, the game was the babies getting out, and they simply couldn't contain me in this crib. I learned to speak pretty early, and when I was 18 months old, I just stood up and said, I'm not staying in this crib anymore. And my father was like, who said that? What is that? And I was just standing there apparently saying, I am not staying in this crib anymore. That was pretty much the pattern, I guess, was set. And it just never stopped. I guess that's just my nature. Once Itana attended a public high school, she became less religious and more adventurous. 
She graduated high school early to attend a two-year college program in New York State to study ritual theater. Then she transferred to a prestigious university in New York City to design her own major. And she kept on moving. She has an innate curiosity about other cultures and new worlds. She lived with a Navajo tribe in Arizona as a sheep herder. Then she hiked the Annapurna circuit in Nepal. There was something in Etana that drove her further and further away from the small New England town where she grew up. And her goal was to become as deeply immersed in indigenous culture and civilizations as she could get. I was just simply trying to like live my life and find an identity as somebody from this very traditional background, but a modern person, if you like, just as a normal person, just sort of find my way in the world. I really wanted to get away from home. That was a burning desire in me. Even as a baby, I had this impulse to run away, to be free. So that was a big part of it. I've just had this burning desire to be as free as possible. I do think there's something in me that is nomadic. Maybe that's cultural too. I just had to be free. There was just this deep desire to be as free as possible, unconstrained. I think it was just constantly, I was in some ways up for anything. I ran across the border to Tibet. You're not really supposed to go across the border, but there was a point you could, it's like there was a big sign saying, don't cross this sign, you'll be in Tibet. It just ran past the sign. It was just constantly, I'd like to push things as far as I could. And a lot of times people say, women can't do this, a girl can't do this, or it can't be done. I would hear that. I'd be like, well, can it? In Arizona, then Nepal, and later the islands of Indonesia. Itana was searching for something. I was just constantly looking for what's perhaps the most oldest human civilization, the human civilization that's lived the longest, preserved its culture the longest, had the least amount of interference perhaps from heavily industrialized cultures. In some ways, what's the most sophisticated human culture? By sophisticated, I mean they live as close to the earth as possible. Itana was traveling through Bali when she started writing to an author named Robert Lawler. Robert's book, Voices of the First Day, describes the distinct art and culture of the aboriginal Yongu people. The Yongu's traditional art and lifestyle had stuck with Itana throughout her travels. It talked a lot about bark paintings and dot and circle paintings, and this is going to sound a bit out there, but... The author would sort of offer an analysis of these dot and circle paintings and be like, this is actually mapping consciousness, or this is showing what's called a dreaming. There's a Yungu belief that everything in the world has a dreaming, has an energy form that it exists in. There's something sacred about that form. And I, again, I looked at these dot and circle paintings and these bark paintings, and I just felt something. It was really deep. And I was like, I have to go and experience this. There was just one problem. The Yongo live in Arnhem Land, an extremely remote corner of northern Australia. Robert Lawler said it was impossible to go there. And I was like, oh. They were like, it's basically impossible. You have to get permission from the various tribal councils. It's a semi-autonomous region. If you do go, you have to be subject to their laws, and they have tribal laws and so forth. But primarily, it just they were like, it really can't be done. It's pretty much impossible to go out there except if maybe you were a health worker or something of that nature. And of course, this man said to you, it can't be done. So you thought? I was like, let's see. Let's just see. I kept looking into this, researching, thinking about it. And indeed, it didn't seem like there was an easy way to go about doing this. 
For one thing, this area is surrounded by 500 miles of open bush in every direction, and then a, it's kind of topped by the Arafura Sea, which is full of deadly box jellyfish and crocodiles and other predators that can kill you. Tuitana, box jellyfish, crocodiles, and the 500 miles of open bush were part of the draw. This author wrote me another letter and said, look, if you even want to try this, you'd have to go to Darwin. So I was like, all right, well, I'll go to Darwin, and um, I'm going to follow my bliss. Itana was on a mission to find people who live as far away from industrialization as possible. So she moved from youth hostel to youth hostel, asking if anyone knew how to get to Yonguland. You were asking people, how do you get to Yonguland? And everybody said, well, you don't go to Yonguland, can't be done, and you thought, can I? I was like, is there some way? So I simply kept talking to people. Somehow, Itana had met the only other foreign traveler for thousands of miles who was also trying to get to Arnhem Land, Katie. She was English, a dancer, and she had secured a special permit to travel to Yonguland. But there was a catch. Here was the thing. As a woman in Yonguland, you can't go anywhere alone. So this was really interesting to me because this was similar to things I'd encountered all throughout my childhood. Had she been a guy, she could have gone alone. She was a woman, so she couldn't. She met me, and I was like, this is perfect. And we, we had, again, a similar background in dance, etc. And it was, it was just the right fit. And six days later, I was being flown out on a Cessna 206T with two or three tribal elders. Katie and I were in the back, and you can feel every bump, everything that happens in a little Cessna like that. And I had no idea exactly what to expect, and we're flying, it's beautiful. The bush is beautiful from the air, and we're flying over these beautiful silver billabongs, which are like these winding rivers and they just look like beautiful silver ribbons around mangrove swamps and just gorgeous open feathery bush, pandanus, trees, light vegetation. It's just a beautiful thing. And I was like, well, this is amazing. I have no idea what's going to happen next, but this is great. And I said, I just feel like exactly right about myself right now. I am doing exactly the right thing in this moment in time. I just, that's how I felt. I knew it. And then the Cessna approached a large clearing. It looked like a football field. There was no airport, just an open wide strip of grass. The plane landed, the door opened, and then Itana and the tribal elders who were also on the plane stepped into the grass. The elders wore cheap rubber flip-flops and led the way to the closest village. Well, it wasn't exactly a village. It was more of an outpost with a few flat buildings painted shiny green. Behind them was a network of paths that led into the surrounding bush where most people spent their time. The earth was really beautiful, deep red, so that was awesome. So it was just like these deep red roads, little paths, really. Itana saw a few people and politely waved. People noticed us, and Yapa is the way to say hello. So there were just different ways people would go, Yapa, hello, and we're like, hi. Everybody was quite friendly. I mean, people weren't falling all over themselves, but people were like warm and curious. 
We were shown to the council house, which was, again, just this long, low building with maybe three rooms in it. And we just were both shown to this room. That was where we were to be. Yungu tend to have maybe 15 to 20, 25 people using that house as a base because they can live pretty comfortably in the bush. And so they would do stuff like dig out an earth oven in the front yard. It's called an emu. So they just set that up and, you know, use the house as a base, but do all sorts of things around it. So you'd see that. You'd see people making baskets out of pandanus leaves. People hunted, so they would hunt wallaby, which are like small kangaroo, and they are adorable, but that is a staple of their diet. They would hunt that. Um, and turtle. And so you'd see folks doing some of that. They were making dampa, which is this bread that's made from something called dinko. It means wild bush peanut, and it's, it's also a staple. It's almost like an acorn. It's like a really nice, crispy bread with a soft texture. It tastes great. Itana was captivated by the hunter-gatherer lifestyle and immersed herself in the local Yangu culture. She would wake up to a green fluorescent frog the size of a dinner plate sitting on the toilet. She would drink a milky bush tea in the morning. She tried her best to fit in and do as the Yongul did. And luckily, there were some English-speaking residents who could help explain the local customs and traditions. As the weeks passed, Itana began to feel at home with the Yongul. So if I could just ask you, at that point, what was the plan? My deep interest was I want to live as much as possible. In his, I would like to see if it's possible to live as a hunter-gatherer, frankly, like in a way that is respectful and isn't bugging anybody here, but if there's a way that I could be of use and fit in, as I had in other places, like being a shepherd in Navajo land, and I mean, these are wildly different cultures and so forth, I just was saying, can I do this? Is it possible to live like this? And might there be a, some sort of fit? And yet, for all her efforts, there was one local custom that went against her basic nature. There was something called the law. It governs a lot of how people live. But even if you go to pee or something in the bush, you're supposed to maybe have like some people with you within a few feet. You're just really not supposed to go alone anywhere as a woman. Itana had seen what happens when customs were not respected. When I was out there, somebody got speared. Some Australian guy, it might have actually been the doctor who was there out to practice medicine. He'd done something wrong that offended someone in some way. Itana wasn't just learning local traditions. She also began sharing some of her own. More specifically, the ones she grew up with and thought she had left behind in Peabody, Massachusetts. They said, we'd like to know more about your rituals because we believe we're one of the lost 12 tribes. The 12 tribes of Israel refer to the Old Testament and the 12 sons of Jacob. Missionaries settled in Arnhem Land in the 1940s. Some had children with Yongu women, and this group still has a philosophy of life based on Christian missionary beliefs they saw a deep connection between themselves and Itana. They just felt that there was something they wanted to learn about and have me take them through certain rituals. And I'm like, if you like, I can show you like Rosh Hashanah, like saying Tashlich, which is where you throw crumbs in a moving body of water to rid you of missteps or sins of the past year. And they were like, great, let's do that. And, and when they said that, what did you think? I was like, sure. I mean, I've met people all over the world with all kinds of beliefs, and I want to support people in expressing themselves. I felt like there was some greater truth to that. I was happy that they wanted me there and were interested in that part of me, and it just seemed kind of fascinating and very unexpected. My name, Itana, people usually know this about me pretty quickly because it's a Hebrew name. It just comes out. 
They were pretty excited to know that, and they said, well, the Lord sent you to us. Itana celebrated the Jewish New Year with the Yongu, Rosh Hashanah. They also celebrated Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where it's traditional to blow a shofar, which is essentially a ram's horn. With no shofars handy, they made do. They blew the didgeridoo. And you're supposed to throw crumbs in of bread, but there isn't a lot of spare bread in Yunguland. So we threw rocks and we did a number of things like that. And we just, we basically said Tashlich, we said prayers. And it was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, we're just out on this remote beach in the Arafur Sea. There's just no, nobody, nothing around us for hundreds and hundreds of miles. So you're doing it with these people in this place. And I'm just wondering at that moment, how did you feel? It was a powerful feeling. It was powerful resonant feeling to be in some ways you felt like you were on the ends of the earth a place that was very remote according to say how I grew up in such a densely populated place you were just in such a place it was so difficult to get to that I've been told you can't get there it can't be done and then there we were in this very special beach and, and to be to be embraced at that moment and have people say we're so glad you're here like they literally said the Lord sent you to us it was it was totally unexpected it was a really powerful feeling and then to combine our rituals in a way that was all I that was a, a lot of what I'd wanted to do in my life take what I knew and sort of share it with other people and see where we meshed it was a really powerful feeling Itana had managed to ingratiate herself with an indigenous people that does not normally tolerate outsiders she achieved her goal of living closer to nature this was the culmination of a dream her ultimate destination after years of travel so you'd think she'd have been satisfied right and she was until she heard about the niara i kept hearing there were these outstations to go to and that was maybe even again one step further from where we were that there was going to be something called a niara which is a clan increase ritual and they base a lot of their lives around these intense rituals. A lot of people would gather, maybe hundreds of people, I think 600 people in the end, to this small outstation, which probably only had maybe 50 to 100 people living there year-round, for this massive ritual called the Nyara. There's a series of rituals that are done, and these are really intricate, and a lot of them are secret, and some of them involve like dancing and music, and um, a lot of clap sticks and didgeridoo and particular dances and also like bark paintings. The younger world is organized into two, what's called moities. It's like yin and yang, yiricha and dua. It means crocodile and shark. So they see everything kind of in that way. So the point is I wanted to get, if possible, I'd love to participate in the Nyara if I can. True to form, Itana was attracted to places that are hard to reach and forbidden to outsiders. But the Yongu had such trust in Itana, they invited her to this sacred ritual deep in the bush. More or less, they facilitated me getting on this uh, little teeny Cessna, I think even smaller than the one before. It literally might have been like two people or four people out to Roru. Um, so we got there and that was an even teeny, that's an outstation. So that was like maybe a tenth the size of the township. So this is just, again, just hundreds of miles of open bush. We landed in this teeny airstrip, which was like a tenth of the size of the other. Literally, it was like a clearing in the bush. Um, and there was like a campfire, a big fire, and a tiny tin schoolhouse. And that was about it. There's an airstrip and there's a giant campfire and people just somehow brought out food or they had people hunted all the time and gathered. And little families sort of arranged themselves in these kind of bark canopies, like just built little canopies. It was really nice and people just kind of camped out under it. it was, it's pretty warm there all the time. 
Other Yongle families had already arrived, and Itana quickly found ways to connect with this smaller community as they prepared for the Niara ritual. Itana had so ingratiated herself with Yongu that she received an offer that was quite personal. I was learning as much as I could, but also I wasn't there as an anthropologist. I wasn't studying this as such. I was just experiencing it through my the group of people I was with. And there was like another woman whose English name was Rhonda, but she was helping out or teaching at this schoolhouse. So we hit it off and she was like, well, I'm going to adopt you. So I was like, well, great. Thank you. I mean, it was an honor. It was a nice thing. I said, thank you. Then she said, I'm giving you um, a younger name. And I said, okay, great. What is it? <laughs> this is going to sound a little out there, but she was like, you're, and I have this written down. She actually wrote this all down for me on a piece of paper. She said, your name is Dinko Munyoyan Durke, with all the R's rolled really hard. Rhonda sort of wrote out on a piece of paper, this is your name now. This is how you're related to people. This is our outstation, Ruru. This is our homeland our home area now. I felt I learned more at that point. I think people had been honestly quite kind to me at that point, very kind and very pleasant and reasonable. I felt just more accepted in a nice way. I just felt that there was that extra step. And again, it's just folks that are somewhat reserved and they, I just felt that there was just more and it was nice and I liked them. You were talking about looking for identity, uh, trying to find out who you were going to be. Did you find it there? I feel I got some real answers and some real insight it probably culminated on the final night of the Nyara. So I was adopted as Yiricha. So there's two Moatis, Yiricha and Dua, crocodile and shark. I became Yiricha at that point through the woman that adopted me. So they were like, right, well, you have to be painted a certain way for the final night of the Nyara, which is a, actually an elaborate ritual dance called the Bongu. About all 600 people ultimately start doing this elaborate ritual dance around a giant, giant campfire with clapsticks and didgeridoo. And this goes on like 12 hours. There's just an extremely involved event. They have these incredible bark paintings, which are so famous. So they, they originated in these rituals. They weren't gonna do a, those elaborate X-ray bark paintings. They're quite beautiful, like geometric shapes. They're painted onto people's bodies and they're just stunning. And there was Itana. The Yongo were painted in white and red, dancing and moving all around her. Drums filled the air. Itana had been on a quest to find belonging in a remote community, surrounded by nature, far from everything she knew. And here she was, at the culmination of many years' journey. She was searching for a home, and now she had found it. It was as profound a moment in her life as she had ever experienced. Which is what made what happened next all the more ironic. This moment came where for some reason I just wanted to be alone for a second. I think I'd been with people nonstop for two months in this fashion. And I loved it, but I just needed a moment. Just a moment to just clear my head. And... There was a mandrake swamp you had to kind of walk to to get to the beach. This is a really remote area. And the beach, in addition to being full of crocodiles that could kill you, which roamed around, and box jellyfish in the water, which could kill you, it was a nice little walk. Saw the beach. Can't go in the water because the box jellies. But okay, I saw it. It was spectacular. 
paradise, unbelievable, turquoise water, white sand, all that. Itana needed a moment to breathe by herself. She left to take in the beauty in solitude. So she walked away, alone, on her own, in the bush. Remember that one thing she was not allowed to do? So when she returned to her adopted family, she saw something wasn't right. I went back to our little kind of bark canopy area, and I was like, Yappa, you know, hi. And they were like, kind of just looked at me. And it's hard to describe this. That was more intense than any words could have been. I felt like people could almost probe you in some way, like you're like almost reach into your mind in some way. And like people could just instantly tell if you were lying or not. You really kind of can't lie. That was my experience. Um, and I didn't try to lie. I was just sort of like, Yappa, you know, hello. And they were like, looked at me. <laughs> I just felt like this bit of a wave come over me that I effed up, like I just did something that wasn't, I sort of broke a taboo. People stopped answering her questions. The tribe's body language had suddenly shifted away from her. Itana eventually figured out what she'd done. The concern was that, again, women being alone, you might have stumbled onto men's business. It's called men's business, and you could be speared. It was a strange feeling. So you knew you'd crossed a line. I was just sort of, I'm sorry, or I didn't I didn't go anywhere I really shouldn't have gone. I just did go to the beach for one second. I came right back. Literally, it had been minutes. People had been so warm and accepting up to that point. But I felt like there was this shift, like certainly the cold shoulder, that I shouldn't, I was stumbling around a bit. I mean, people make gaffes in life. I guess that was a gaff. I thought I made this judgment call. I could be alone for 10 seconds in two months. Feeling isolated, Itana left the group to sleep. I felt like it's messed up and I really, I did feel scared. And then the the bungu sort of really got going and it was about 600 people at that point around the fire, people really doing the dance. It's kind of a subtle dance, but they were doing it with the clapsticks and didgeridoo. And I went and slept alone on the porch of this little tin schoolhouse. And there was the dogs, you know, Australian wild dogs. There was different kinds of animal poop on the porch. I literally was scared that whole night I might get speared to death any minute. It was almost an opposite feeling to how I felt on the flight out on the Cessna. And then I felt like, you know what? It's worth it. I felt like no matter what happens at this point on, I was myself. I did what I wanted to do in this world. Now I felt like the opposite. I felt like I'd push things as far as I could. But this little piece of me, this little will, had to just be different. Even here, even there, I had to assert myself. I had to be alone for 10 seconds when I knew women weren't supposed to be alone, but some part of me thought I could do it. And here I was, and I might get speared to death. It was a pretty scary night. That's all there was to it. It was kind of, and, and the worst thing about it was, the worst thing was I felt like I'd really let these folks down. I felt like I'd let my adopted family down. They'd really been very kind and, and generous to me and accepted me and like made an effort to get me. And I felt like I'd let them down, and I, I wasn't even sure how or why. It, it was a pretty torturous night. The sounds of the Niara ritual echoed in the distance. And Itana, sitting alone, disconnected from the Yongu and her adopted family, started to make other connections. Somehow through the night I had this thought that crept into my head under the stars, which were just so bright because there's no light pollution. I just was like, you know, maybe I can only be who I am. I've gone to what is for me the ends of the earth. I've pushed things so far all my life. Maybe I was born who and where and what I am for a reason. Maybe I was born 
an Orthodox Jew in a working class suburb of Boston for a reason. Something very subtle did shift to me at that moment. There's maybe some real value to that. And as much as I honor and I'm excited about exploring or, you know, interacting with other cultures and being useful to other cultures, I should also just be aware of like, I have my own culture, my own life. And there's a lot of value to that too. I slowly got up because nobody had spared me. And I joined the Bungu and I was still painted red at that point. And as it happened, everybody was pretty kind to me and nobody really brought up what had happened. And I was able to join in the Bungu in, in an appropriate way until it went on and on and finally ended. The ceremony ended and Itana left the Yongu shortly thereafter and went home to return to the United States. I just felt like there had to be something more and better and different than I had grown up with, even aside from having such a restrictive upbringing. And I think after that, to some extent, I, I don't know if I'd say I accepted it more, but I just had more of a sense of balance, wholeness. These days, Itana is building a career in Los Angeles. She's directing her first feature. And while it may seem Itana has given up living rough for a life in a major U.S. city with all modern conveniences, this couldn't be further from the truth. Being a filmmaker, frankly, a female filmmaker in L.A., you get more pushback than becoming an adopted Yungu tribes person in Arnhem Land. That was more direct. <laughs> there was no pushback. Itana is sharing her stories in a new jungle, Hollywood. She says L.A. is far harder to navigate than any crocodile and jellyfish-infested aboriginal wildlands. She also says her time in Australia taught her that seemingly small lapses in judgment, like walking alone from the Niara ceremony, can have big consequences. These stories and experiences inform her film and production work. She calls it her jungle-to-jungle theme. Itana says that perhaps the most important thing she discovered on all her travels around the globe, immersing herself with indigenous peoples, learning their ways and their practices, is that sometimes you need to go away, maybe very far away, to see what's right in front of you. You can pursue your wildest dreams to the fullest extent, and it may be amazing, and it may be scary, and it may be totally unlike anything you ever heard. But there'll probably come a point you perhaps can only go so far and you just kind of maybe need to go home, wherever that is. Even if you're still traveling, there's a part of you that uh, you're not ever going to get away from. There's just this part of you you're going to carry with you everywhere. And I mean everywhere. What I experienced is personal to me. And there's no story. There's no soundbite. There's no film. There's no piece of music that's going to completely convey this to people. Like You do have to keep traveling. You do have to experience this for yourself. Itana Jacobson. If you'd like to see some of Itana's illustrations from her journey or more images from the book that inspired her quest to Yongoland, you can find them on our website, podcast.klm.com. The Journey is an original podcast brought to you by KLM Royal Dutch Airlines. To hear more stories about the trip that changed everything, go to podcast.klm.com. And why not review us on Apple Podcasts? It helps other listeners find this podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Jonathan Goubert.